There's a reason that every movie that you've ever seen about a teenager is about finding your place to fit in in a world that just doesn't feel right. Because as a teenager, that's your job, to start to reshape your self-identity uh, from being a person that fits into a particular relationship system in your family, however healthily or unhealthily that can happen, and your job is to extract yourself from that. Oh, Dad, do I have to go? I don't want to go. And then try to insert yourself into a new system of relationships with people that aren't your family, while at the same time trying to figure out what works for you, what doesn't work for you. It's bloody tough. Makes for good movies. The thing is, though, even the bullies in those movies and those TV shows, they're just trying to fit in. Once I started to learn about the, uh, the iceberg theory of child behaviour and that the thing you see, the behaviour, well, that behaviour is the, the tip of the iceberg and that behaviour is an effect or an, a, a symptom of everything else that's under the surface. Well, once I learned that, looking back at some of those films that I used to watch, the the bullies in those movies all started to seem more sad than the kids that they're picking on. There's a new movie called Uproar. comes out in Australia this week. It stars Julian Dennison, Minnie Driver, and the exquisite Reese Darby. It's set uh, in 1981 around the notorious Springbok tour of New Zealand, the rugby union tour. It's an extraordinary film. It is as hilarious as it is staggering in how powerfully it tells the story of a kid, Julian Dennison, who's just trying to figure out who they are at the same time as a community trying to figure out who they are and indeed the very start, I guess, of a whole country trying to figure out who they are and how they fit in. What is truly wonderful about this film is that it is actually based on a true story and it's the life story of the brilliant director, Paul Middleditch. Paul has been on the show before. You may recognise his name, you may not, but you certainly know his work. He's the absolute genius behind the kind of commercials that you never, ever forget. The, the brilliant series of lamb ads uh, that come around around in January every year. The unforgettable commercials uh, for Carlton Draft, including my favourite, which involves hundreds and hundreds of extras charging at each other across a field. And the hands-down classic, the Yellow Pages campaign, with the immortal line, not happy Jan. Paul made all of those and he's made this film. But what makes this film even more unique is that while Paul is a very, very clever director, a very, very cool, very funny person, very incredibly well, incredibly good at, at putting comedy on screen. So Paul's directing this film, a, a film about a life he literally lived, but the screenplay, the script was written by his extraordinary talented wife, the acclaimed writer and director, Sonia Whiteman. Now, as I mentioned in this episode, it is rare that my wife Audrey and I could, I don't know, build something from Ikea without getting shitty at each other. And yet here is a couple who've been together for 23 years with a beautiful family, managing to take an idea from, in, from an inception to pitch to production and now, you know, having it getting a standing ovation at the Toronto Film Festival, and they're still together. The film is magnificent. I cried twice. Audrey cried about five times. But how these two work together, the way they speak about each other, it's proper couple goals, I'll tell you that. You'll understand pretty quickly why I just adore these two human beings 
and I can't wait for you to get to know them. Before we get there, though, here's some ads. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Why did we choose to make a comedy or a more um, light-hearted film about such serious themes? Those films... You know, like Uproar, the films that I love, where you can feel, I don't know, full when you come out of it. There's tough stuff out there, and we deal with tough stuff, but you leave going, I feel better and renewed by watching that. That's what kind of gets us in there, you know. That's what makes us feel something, is that you can have that kind of lightness of touch and comic relief and then you can also feel the emotion at the same time. That is the filmmaking super couple, Paul Middleditch and Sonia Whiteman. This is Oshie Ginsberg, Better Than Yesterday. G'day. Welcome to the show. This is Better Than Yesterday, making it better every episode since 2013. Learning something new through a conversation with someone that's been there before. Three times a week I'm here, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. I am Osher Ginsberg. I'm a podcaster. I'm a TV host. I'm a documentary filmmaker. Oh, sorry. I'm an award-winning documentary filmmaker. I'm a gold Logie-losing TV presenter. I'm an author and I am a singing bicycle rider. Uh, Wolfgang, our youngest, uh, we've got two kids, one's 19, one's four, has taken an enormous liking to Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots by the Flaming Lips, which is a brilliant album. And so he and I ride down the street every day on the way back from daycare. He wants to listen to, oh, Yoshimi, they don't believe me. You won't let those robots see me. He loves it. It's super fun. 
We are, that's, and so that's who I am. Yes, we're doing some live shows, live shows. We had a great time at South by Southwest doing some live gigs, and we've got a few more lined up in Melbourne. February 22nd, tickets are in the show notes. Get on the mailing list for any more details about those gigs. Sam Wood is on the way for one of the guests. We have another guest that I am yet to try to announce. I really want to get it out by um, today. Maybe it'll be there already, but if you're on the mailing list, you'll know about it before anybody else. And if you want to DM me, Instagram's the best place to do that. And guess where? show notes. Everything's in the show notes. It's always lovely to hear from you. Always lovely to see what you're looking at. Um, when you're listening to the show, you can follow along. Follow along there. To the chat. I just love these two. And you'll understand why pretty quickly. Paul Middleditch and Sonia Whiteman. They're epic people. Incredibly talented and have a really wonderful way of being with each other. I mean, like 23 years, you, you're going to want to have your, your way of being together pretty sorted out by then. And um, yeah, it's delightful. The film's called Uproar. It's out on Thursday. Do just make a plan to see it. It's truly glorious. It's it's one of the all-time feel films. Now, because it's a feel good and feel sad and feel angry and feel love and feel like I just felt so much in this film. It's an emotional roller coaster. It, it's whatever. There's some secret Kingswoods involved as well. I really hope you dig it and um I do have to apologize. I opened the interview. I was in a fucking fluster when they got here because I'd been up against it time-wise and something had led to something had led to something. And then next thing you know, I'm like, holy shit, these two are coming here. I normally don't have two people in here. I normally do one-on-one. I'm reconfiguring the studio. And um, they arrived at the same time as the Ikea truck arrived at the same time. It, it knocked a branch off a tree out the front. And, you know, I'm trying to get speaking of ikea i'm trying to get like a whole fuck ton of flat pack into the house and oh man they were very sweet to sit here and and let me chaotically try and curse at things that weren't plugging in and weren't working because then everything you know if you rush nothing works right slow is smooth smooth is fast panickingly fast is slow because everything doesn't work because you put it together wrong and they were very sweet and calm as they sat here and watched me completely faff about the place and I sat down and even here, Paul just go, take a breath, mate. <laughs> That's pretty fucking good. I hope you dig the conversation. How are you guys? We're good. I don't know how to describe the last 15 minutes. <laughs> but it was fucking hilarious. Like you guys are showing up. The Ikea guy's coming. That the, I get locked out of the house, oh, yeah. trying to find an extra sh- chair. The stepdaughter. Oh, around. no, we arrived and it kind of had the slight feeling of uh, either a thriller, not a horror, but a thriller where we go, the dogs are the first thing at the door, then we hear crunch, crash outside as the delivery truck takes that branch off. Of our beautiful and then, tree, and then yeah. suddenly we turn around and there's the stepdaughter going, Hello. Who are you? How and are you then we're just yeah. we're going, are we in the right place? <laughs> and, and, and Sonia says, um, is Osha here? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah. He probably can't hear you. I'm and deaf I go, as post. And bang. And then we went, right, we shall discover from there what where we go and what we do. And yeah. so we've come come all the way down like a, a kind of like a, uh, Indiana Jones movie. There's <laughs> a lot of play. stairs. I know. And the yeah. two dogs and we're uh, – and we're here, so no, yeah, we're uh, excited. We can we can doubt that. And I love the way there's good storytelling there. But let's be honest, they're two cavoodles, <laughs> and it was an IKEA truck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but 
Look, that's actually a budget. I'm trying a budget to start. I'm trying. Hopefully, they're going to they're going to get engaged. Build the away. drama. <laughs> they're going to go. What's the movie called again? Build it's the called, drama. Like you know, build the drama yeah. where you can. Exactly. Uh, we're here to talk. You you guys made a film together, and you're still married, and that is amazing. Just. You know, we've been together for nearly twenty-four years. So, it's so that's extraordinary. That's that's yeah, it's been good and a creative um and a creative um experience too. Because I think ever since we first got together, one of the things that um um was immediately I think attracted us both was we were both creative in that way, and she was interested in the same sort of because I did film and stuff, same sort of things, and she was a filmmaker as well, and is a filmmaker, and so that was that was immediately something that. Yeah, got a, at least we were talking the same language with that. There's the way I, the only way I can relate to that really is I've uh, someone in my life I work with still, uh, Yumi. She and I have worked known each other since 2000, mm. but she knows me well enough to know that if I start talking about a thing I'm interested in, I just won't stop. And she just looks down at her phone and she just starts like that with her hand. Well, that's a good trick, huh? And I stop <laughs> and I talk. When you are kind that's of that's a code. In a, it's yeah, a code it is. Word. It's yeah, just yeah, like yeah, yeah. Yeah. you're my friend and I like you. We're here to do a job. Yeah. Stop talking. Yeah. Uh, and I'm fine with it. I'm totally fine with it. I did when we were in Toronto. She did correct me I, in I the did, middle of We were interview. in a Q&A, like in a live Q&A in the audience. And Jesus so Christ. the one of the audience members asked a really interesting question. And Paul started, you know, down this track and then he went down this this way. And then, and then I was like, well, actually, I want to know the answer to that question. So I was like, okay, so remember that she was asking about the blah, 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 blah. Whole audience laughed. And they did laugh. Yeah. And I said, I'm sure you realise yeah. we're married. <laughs> they got another laugh. And then, um, but, yeah. yeah. Who but else she's can not, do that, right? She has no shame in making me feel shame. <laughs> and so, and regardless of where that is. But, no, it's good, though, because in the end she says, look, I'm sure that's what they were all thinking. Get to the point. And I go, I'm not sh- I don't know how to read their minds. I just go with it. In Breakfast Radio, they would say, that's great moment, guys. Relatable. Relatable. Yeah. <laughs> relatable. <laughs> yeah, relatable. Yeah, relatable. Relatable, guys. Great content. Great relatable content, guys. Yeah. Really good, that 803 break. Absolutely. It's the breakfast show things, though, because I personally have a problem with breakfast show stuff because of the constant they're laughing at all their own stuff and think they're enormously funny and great like this. And and that I always, it's, it's something that's very, it's hard to keep going, if you know what I mean. So I, I find think it you difficult. could do it. I think you could do it. No, because she'd end up ringing me saying, hey, Paul, I think you've gone off the track. So anyway, yeah. Well, there you go, the content director, anchor. That's the way, and you know. Yeah. But now here we go back to the point that you asked about us working together and we're still together. When the genesis of this project came up, Sonia was working for years on another, on, on her first feature, and I had read that script and absolutely loved it and, um, when it came to a point of, of going to the next stage of writing, which is Uproar now, the film coming out, um, Sonia then, it was great for me to be able to go, well, I think Sonia would be great for this. And, and Sonia was excited with that as well with Emma Slade, who was our producer, still is our producer at the time. So that was the genesis of us getting together and making this. And then she took the ball and ran with that. When you're, um, you know, starting to work on something like this and you get the... Uh you get the idea that oh here we go. Mm-hmm. Like do you, do you think about what this would mean for you know your relationship? Because like I said, most people can't go on. Like people not even buy the kitchen. People will go to IKEA and start arguing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, 
I don't know. I didn't Are you going to tell honestly your process though? Because it isn't so much about that. You, you yeah, do your no, own no, thing, which no, is kind of good. I mean, I, I guess, you know, at the time it was sort of, do you want to write a draft of the film? And I was like, well, in fact, I said no the first time because because I was doing other things and I thought, oh, because it was already a screenplay that was, I mean, it's very different mm. than it is now. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to concentrate on my own things and, you know, because I'm a director as well. Yeah. Like, do I want to spend all this time writing something that I'm not going to direct? It's very selfish of yeah. me, I know. But in the end it was kind of a challenge. So it took a while to sort of get into and shape, but I guess I didn't realise that it was going to be so many years of development as well. Um, but also, I mean, writing is a very solo process generally. I mean, for film it is. So it's not like we really had to sit there in the same room all day and mm. kind of, you know, debate it out. And, you know, I knew at the end of the day, like, I would be right. So <laughs> if it came down to it, you know, Paul might have his opinions, but then I'd be able to just veto everything. Oh, <laughs> no, that, sounds, and that is actually I'm, really funny. You are getting her sense of humour because there is a lot of humour in the picture that is very much at that level. <laughs> and so when I, yeah, I can see it. You know from from previous stuff that we've done yeah. in terms of the comedy stuff that I've worked on, but knowing... Um, Sonia's really intelligent, observational and smart humour, uh, let alone all of the dramatic um, um, work that she put into the picture because that was the one thing I particularly liked in her first script. It was very moving. I mean, I, I remember reading it and I had a cry, you remember, when mm. we were, yeah, and I, you know, and and um, and that was exciting for me because I go, um, there's real potency in, in what she was writing. But it was interesting because so many of the beautiful characters that that I now look at, and particularly the 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 female feeling in the picture, um, comes very much from a lot of what she what she added in with her characters there, particularly Shirley and Samantha and, mm. and those characters. Mm. Well, I think you have to you have to find a way into any project. I mean, especially if it's something that you come into that's not your original idea. Um, and it definitely took me a few drafts to find that voice, you know, because you've got to find the voice. And I think that, you know, it'd be fair to say, you know, the film as it is now, um, Hamish had to do the same, you know, when he came in to do, to do his work on the film, he had to find, find his way in as well to be able to tell his story, um, authentically. So Mm. I think that's, you know, that's really important. You talk about um, doing a couple of a couple of drafts because there's many myths around around filmmaking. One of them is just like finishing the Smith Corona and like ripping out the final page and then boom and we're done. Uh, we all dream of that. Till, yes, till like with the end of that that final slate on I can't remember what TV show it was, but there was a final slate of someone typing away at a Smith Corona and pulling out a piece yeah, of paper. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about the process of of failure when mm. it comes to getting something up, particularly something where funding is already involved and you're getting paid to do something that, no, nah, it's not good enough, you've got to keep going. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard. And I think in this country too, you know, Australia and New Zealand is the same. It's not like Hollywood where there's kind of a lot of money floating around. I mean, it's funding agencies really that are funding scripts and development. And so, I mean, you know, writers really don't get paid very much at all. And it's not about the money, but obviously people want to live. <laughs> put food on the table. Yeah, so it's a tricky it's a tricky thing actually. Say if we were skiing. Say we were mm. on I don't know, we're at the Remarkables, right? And I'm mm. I've fallen over I'm on my side. Yeah, ah, you fell over. Mm. And if I said to you, yeah, I'm 
I'm not very good at this. Or if I said, yeah, I fell versus mm. I'm learning. Yeah. Oh, good job. Yeah. True. Falling over is part of that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the idea of trying to remind yourself while you're mm. not getting there, yeah. it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than getting down on yourself and having it stop you. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, there are so many phases through a draft. Like you will, you know, and I'm writing something at the moment and so I'll get on a roll and it'll be great and then I'll get to, you know, it's probably around the middle usually that in the second act people get very stuck and you kind of go, what what is this? This is terrible. This is shit. Like what am I doing? I'm a terrible writer and then I'm going to go back to the beginning and then I'm like, you know, this is blah, blah, blah. And then the cycle goes on again. And I think if you're working in a team, and I've just done a TV project as well. It's just so much easier to have other people to bounce off and, you know, to for other people to pick up the slack if you kind of fall down a bit. But you have to be really self-motivated. And I think that's the hardest part for me is that self-doubt. And then, you know, you finish it. And then someone gives notes and you're like, those are terrible notes. Like, what is that person thinking? They haven't spent this much time and they don't understand this character. And, and then you kind of, you know, settle down and you're like, okay, okay, now I understand, I can see that's the problem and, you know, so it's just this cycle. Yeah, it's very, yeah. It's very up and down. It is very up and down and it's very hard. And I think that, um, you know, that kind of fantasy of just writing, writing, writing and then writing another draft and, you know, people saying, oh, you know, Taxi Driver was written in, what, <laughs> three days or three yeah, weeks or yeah. whatever that was. I mean, that is a miracle, frankly. Like, I listened to the Screenwriting Life podcast with Meg Lafobe and Lauren McKenna, and um, they're amazing because they just talk about the trials and tribulations and, you know, what it's like to be a professional writer. And Meg Lafobe's written Inside Out. You know, she's a Pixar writer. Yeah. And so... (laughs) They know story. (laughs) But they have their problems, you know what I mean? They wake up in the morning and think that they're failures and... So it's you know that's reassuring to hear that other people go through the same thing. It's not easy. Yeah, there the, the were there were a lot of different um, um, roads that we did go down and could have gone down with with uproar. It was a different title at the, at that time. It's called One Winter. And so what was what was interesting was that often in the early stages, um, and I think this was the great thing that Sonia managed to. To the t- the hard stuff, the hard stuff, which is what is the film about? What is the most important part of of the film? What are the audience going to be able to to experience? What are the things that are are, are are necessary in the film? And what are the things that are what are the things that are unique about the film? And that was a juggling act. You know, it's not about rugby, is it? No, it's not about filmmaking, is it? No, because originally it was about Josh was a filmmaker based on me being a filmmaker. And then when Hamish came in, he he wanted to change the creative thing that he was interested in to, to acting, even though the teacher, Madigan, was, was still into filmmaking. It was just changed into a different thing. And so there was so much of that, and we were finding that, that it was really frustrating um, going... There's too many. There's too many things that we mm. have clouded this film with. Too many What's threads. it about? And Sonia really nailed the heart of this picture when she went. Look, it's about about you know from where it comes from a kid who doesn't fit in, who's trying to find how to fit in or how to say make a stand, say something because he has no self confidence to do that. And so I remember originally when she wrote the scene. 
um, where he goes and sits in the field, which was many drafts back, I suddenly went, bang, that's our film. And that is the film, you know, um, in so many ways. So the the tough trials, like you were saying, um, shit, it's not working. That's not working. It, it was really what button to push to make it work. And we had to experiment because it's when you get saying to me, look, I'm going to kill some children of yours. Your babies will die and you are going to have to put up with it. And I go, really? And then I remember at one stage she said, Paul, we're going to have to lose the filmmaking. No, the filmmaking. And it was like literally it was because that for me was that was what I was doing when I was at school. I said, you're going to take the glasses off him next? You know? <laughs> you know? And so that was that was actually quite funny because actually one thing on set that 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 set a shudder through me on the first day of the shoot, the cinematographer, Maria Inez, said, I can't shoot with these reflect these glasses. I said, but they're non-reflective glasses. And they're supposed to be glasses. And she said, it's just, it's really hard because I can't see. She goes, what if we take the lenses out? And it was like my whole heart just dropped. And I went, so we make like an OPSM ad? <laughs> you know? And it was like, and then she got into the head. This was the difficult thing. She got into the heads of the producers going, you won't be able to see his eyes. <laughs> and it's like, and then eventually I went, no, they, ha they have to be in there because it has to look like from his point of view, those things are, what what protect him against the world, what make him different, what, and I remember what made me different, but also there's a huge theme in this picture about you're blind and then you can see, and he gets these contact lenses to play rugby, but he actually doesn't need them. He doesn't need to play rugby. He needs to be proud of those glasses. And that's what's a, you know, a, a really, you know, and that was a crucial thing for me because it could I could have, and those were the really stressful things for me where I go, those certain things you can lose. Um, but getting back to the point about um, the idea of um, um, those things about you fall down, I'm not good enough and so on like that, those things, there were a lot of moments in making this film, the journey of the film where we went, I mean, I think a number of times we went, this is just like, we're never going to get this film made. It's not going to, it's not going to, it's not going to be the film we want or we haven't found a way to, to really make the film as good as it can be. And those were those were things that were always concerning. Mm -hmm. The um the screenwriters of um Everything Everywhere All at Once, I think in their Oscars acceptance speech they said something like, you know, just last week they were having this kind of crisis of imposter syndrome and like, <laughs> what are we doing? We we're not we're not actually screenwriters, you know. And I just thought that's perfect. Right? <laughs> this is what we all are. Creative yeah. people, you know, self doubt is part of it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me about, because um, you, you know, bear in mind, you actually have children. Mm. Uh, and when you say kill your children, kill your mm. babies, you're talking mm. about ideas. Yes. Yeah. Let's be careful about this. Uh, what have you learned in your career about, like when someone says we're going to have to, we're going to have to destroy this thing that you have put in this, and this might be the, one of the things that you've pitched it on. This is one of the key moments, a key mm. part of this product. Whatever that product is, could be this candle, could be this mic stand, could be yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. What have you learned about, letting go of this thing that you found so precious and then seeing the final product and going, ah, oh, yeah, all right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's such a hard thing to do because, like, I think we we hold on to things so tightly. It's a security blanket, really. I mean, this is another thing about working with other people, I find that a lot easier because you can 
I don't know. It's like you don't have sole responsibility for it. So if it doesn't work, then it's like everyone's fault, not not just your own. But um, <laughs> I think that for my process, I find that difficult because it's going to involve untangling everything and then putting it back together again. And that, in my brain, is quite hard to envisage. And it also means I'm going to have to do a lot more work to get this to where it, you know, and, and that's the difficult part. But when you do it, you know, you know in your bones, you know in your heart that that is the right thing to do and it's going to be, you've got to think of the goal, right, the, 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 end, the end project and the end goal and it's, it's definitely worth it. Yeah. I've heard it so many times. But it's very hard. It's like the foundations. You just got yourself a new place. Yeah, we just bought this place. Great. Look, mate, you're going to have to tear out all the foundations. No, we don't need it. Yes, you do. you got to tear out all those foundations because in five, ten years' time, this thing will just collapse. Bang, exactly the same thing. And you go, what are you going to do? Are you going to just sit there and put a Band-Aid on it because it never goes away? And what you find is those kind of things, and this is what I really love, is that Sonia fought for all of the all of the hard work in the script writing to get that film to the point where um, you know audiences universal. You know, I mean, there's a universal feeling that the film works on a on a number of levels, but just as a narrative story. Because I think you know we watch a lot of films that are formulaic and, and work and and can work well, but to a degree maybe are safe. So we feel we've seen it before. You also have extraordinary movies where you go, I've never seen anything like that before, but it's not for everybody. Then you also have those amazing things in the middle where you kind of go, here's something that's actually really well thought through. The filmmakers have respected the discipline of taking the time to get it right, not just get it made, get it right. And so that's that's been um, that's an interesting thing, I think. Yeah, I mean, it all comes down to the script. The absolutely, it comes down the, to the, the script. The thing is, too, once you pull out something or put something in, then everything changes, you know. So it's not mm. just you can't just kind of go through and add a couple of things in or take a couple of things out because, you know, if it's about character and it's about story, then one thing will affect the other. So It's like changing. Know. It's like a, adjusting yeah. the derailleur on a bike. Like, okay, I've done this, but now I've got to do this. Now I've got to yeah. do oh, but now this, now this, and that. Like, and you just never, it's never get yeah. there. And I think, too, the way our brains work is that we try to justify things in our minds so we can do the least work. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's what humans do. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. what we are. And so we will argue the point and argue the yeah. point, and then you kind of go, oh, actually, you're right, okay. I'll do One that. of the things <laughs> about making something, anything like any idea is mm. that, Anything, whether it be a product, whether it be like I love my electric car in the driveway there, um, mm. because you know an, an internal combustion engine. There's, I think, there's like 115 different moving bits between where the petrol explodes and the wheels turn. Mm. And that thing, that Nissan out there, is probably I don't know 35. Right. So immediately, the points of failure are extraordinarily limited because you've yeah. simplified the design. All right. Right. So it can be very hard. To go, I don't, he's a cinematographer though. He's a cinematographer. The film's not about a cinematographer, Paul. <laughs> the film's about someone who doesn't fit in. It doesn't matter what he does. Yeah. It, we can tell the same story. And it can be really hard to distill it. But once you do simplify it, yeah. do you find that you have the ability to then, uh, you have more possibility to be able to tell that story more authentically? Yeah, no, I think that um, um, you've got to, as a filmmaker, Across all levels, you've got to go. What's 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 the best way to tell a story, 
and what's the most effective way to tell a story, but how are you going to tell it? Mm. Because I think we see, oh, how can I say? I mean, I, I see mountains and loads of great television, but I don't see necessarily, and, and there are a few that are very distinctive, but the majority of them all feel they come out of a similar mold. Do you know what I mean? And so you don't necessarily have um, the the what's most distinctive about them is this is the story less than say the filmmaking. Um, in 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 a case of something like this film, I wanted to make sure that it was that I was going to make something distinctly a a, a cinematic vision, the feel of it, but something that was also um, that was inclusive. Mm. Which meant that you did, yeah. I suppose that's the area where you go into things that that feel um, self indulgent or sometimes pretentious. Um, I think you have to have a fine line between something that's actually cinematic and and artistic, but still at the same time that not not either drawing attention to the filmmaker or away from the story. And so that's the that's the balancing act that you have. But when you talk about say things like. Um, the hard work and discipline. Like I storyboarded this whole picture. Now it's not fun storyboarding a whole movie, and I've storyboarded all my life. Just, for, pe- just for people who've never made a film, right. you're essentially making a comic book of the mm. movie, the whole film. For yeah, sure. and for Paul sure. is actually like he he will never draw a stick figure or whatever. It's like a work of art. Right. Yeah. So, so with shading, talent. with lighting. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, the light's got to be. He's got to be short. Is well, it make well, it a little bit. Even yeah. lenses. So yeah. some yeah, stuff. Of course, you know, where you're cool. low or high or whatever, like this. Of course, but, you are. But the only reason that, because for instance, sometimes um, that sort of level of detail. But when you're dealing with a certain number of days, what you've got to do, you've got to be really disciplined about the hard work and the hard work sitting down. And I drew it in three weeks. And it's just like, um, you know, but it's also having a really clear blueprint, but a blueprint that you then can make better. But everybody could see it. So the art department could see it. The cinematographer could see it. The actors could see it. The editor gets sent it as well. So that when they're looking at this thing, they go, okay, here's the plan. We have the script and this is a written plan. Here's a visual plan. So that, for instance, um, in the middle of the movie, if you remember, there's a big riot protest sequence in it. Now, the producer, Emma, said to me, can you storyboard that like now? And I went, what, in the first week of pre? And she goes, yeah, because it's going to take a huge amount for us to get this get this right for a, for a price, but at the same time, for us to know where the camera is going to camera in general, how we're going to do it, how many days we're going to look that way, this way, how many extras we need there, all this stuff, what what's area of the city do we need? When I did that, that's why, and we shot that only four days from the end of the picture, that's why suddenly it all came into place because you felt like everybody, we knew what we were doing, and then we could then we could adjust and 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 work within that but the the thing for me is it was also um so like you're saying it's like oh god you know i'd get up cuz i had to get up and and normally in the morning do it you know i used to do a lot of them between 6 and 9 in the morning just because i was doing all the other stuff as well but but when you would lay it i'd lay it out on the floor where i was like and it was a really interesting because you could start to get the feel of the picture um and so that was um really useful i felt to be disciplined and go through that work 
because in the end, I think it shows in the picture. It also takes pressure off a lot of people. Too. Yeah, because it's the, not like they're yeah. walking in and going, "What are we going to do?" Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you go, it, that. Think <laughs> of every the the worst grand or the best, depending on how you watch it. But grand designs episodes are always the one when Kevin walks in and he starts to seeing measurements and sums doing on a wall. He's like, "That's not good." <laughs> they decided to start changing plans, and they've already the roof's not even on yet. This this now we're going to get into budget problems. Now we're trying. And right, that's right, exactly right, right, right. because yeah. if you are on location, you have got four hundred people there, and you go, mm. "Nah, when, I need to get wider." And then now you suddenly like, "Well, there's a bus stop there, and they need to keep that bus running." And now no, it looks like the eighties. Now it's two thousand twenty. <laughs> you were so you know, <laughs> right. Were you in Dunedin when we were shooting this? No, because just, like from there, it was great. From there. It was like Macca's yeah. and, and, you know what I mean, exactly. and, a, and a mobile mobile phone store. Yeah. And it's like, and we can't get, because they're going to charge us too much. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so I'm saying we're here, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it is like literally. It's, yeah, absolutely. And, and, absolutely. And then there's yeah. that famous story of Raiders of Lost Ark being storyboarded shot for shot from front to back. Absolutely. And I've got a, in the storage over there, I've got a ring-bound copy I'm giving away a lot here, guys. Mm. I've got a ring-bound copy of the Apollo 11 flight plan. Really? As it as it was in the in really? the communication. Yes. Yeah, wow. Oh my god. Minute, Do you read it much? It's minute by minute. Do you read it much? And it's typed. It's <laughs> wow. amazing. Wow. Right. It's typed. Yeah. And it took took four hundred thousand people or something mm. like that. To, to do the space program. But sure. it's exactly what you're saying. Wow. It's like, oh, no, this is what we're doing right mm. now. And we've rehearsed every part of it. Yes. Wow. So when we, Which is we probably can't, critical in that. We can't do a reshoot when Michael yeah. Collins is orbiting around the back of the dark side of the moon. <laughs> we can't come back and do it again, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's no pickups. There's no yeah. ADR. Like, we're going to. Yeah. 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 And, and, and yeah. honestly, when you're in a low-budget film like we Like are, the space program. Well, yeah, like the space program, <laughs> very low-budget. But most films made in the Southern Hemisphere yeah. are pretty low-budget. You've got to get it right because. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know. All the money's got to go on screen. Well, they also mm. go, look, and it's weird. It's like, hey, look, at 6 o'clock, if we do 15 minutes overtime, that's 20000 bucks. Okay. And that's $20,000 taken from somewhere else in my shoot or somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, wow. And so you have to be aware of the big pot of pot, but big pot of money too yeah. so that you know you know where you're going to need it i think in my game um, if i show up to work and we're at a external and i don't see the grip truck i'm like Daylight or daylight? <laughs> <laughs> Which one? There's a hard out, whether we like it or not. We've yeah. got to get it done. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I used to say on set it was interesting because, um, you know, I could normally, from my experience, you know how much stuff I've shot. But even on this, I said, look, I can see the iceberg. We're in the Titanic. I can see the iceberg at 10 a.m. Mm. I know where it's coming. I know how we're sailing in towards it. And I go, just let me know when you want me to just go that away <laughs> and get the hell out of it. And the fact about 3 o'clock in the afternoon where I had to suddenly go, guys, I know this has been all great and it's been organic and it's been this. We got to get the day done, and then it changes from that. And as I said, the sprint to the finish line, which unfortunately is very stressful, you know. And I think that that's a difficult thing, not only for 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 everybody, but I think, um, you know, it's it's it, it, it. I always try and like to be ahead of myself, um, so that. When we do get to three o'clock, we actually have time mm. to relax rather than sprint, <laughs> you know, so that we actually can try stuff and things yeah. like that. Mm. It's a so on so many levels. This film, I, I, 
you cried reading it. I cried twice watching it. Mm. Audrey, I think, cried anywhere between five to seven times. Mm. It is such an extraordinarily emotional experience um, because, yeah, it does cover a lot of bases, but all of them at the sense of it is being seen. Mm. Is, yeah. Where's my humanity? Yeah. Can you see my humanity? I had to explain it to Georgia what it was about, but I, I remember that football tour. Yeah. I was yeah. young. I was yeah. six when it happened. Um, recreating that, very difficult time mm. in New Zealand. I mean, what was it like to start thinking about what the country was going through when it was happening? Yeah, well, so, I mean, I did a lot of read, like reading and research mm. at the time, which was so fascinating. I think particularly listening to people's personal accounts because it really did divide the nation. You know, there were mm. families who didn't speak to each other for years and that was really fascinating. I mean, we always wanted it to be a backdrop and, you know, I guess in the way that sort of Billy Elliot is set, you know, during the um, miners' strikes and stuff in a similar way. So it wasn't the focus of it. It was just kind of a setting for, you know, I guess a time where New Zealand was going through a lot of change and it was a significant kind of um, moment for the identity of the country as well as for a teenager, you know. So it's sort of it's a coming-of-age story, but it's a coming-of-age story of a country as well. I mean, it wasn't by any means a kind of a moment where everything got solved in New Zealand because no. in a way it was kind of the <laughs> moment where everything started to get stirred up. Mm. Um, and the questions started to be answered. Who are we? What yeah. do we stand for and yeah. what matters? Does this treaty that we signed say anything at all? But well, I think it, it, yeah, exactly. Sorry, and I, and I think that, that yeah. you know, the interesting thing is now, I mean, it's very similar here, obviously. We've just been through the voice um, referendum, which was a bit devastating, I think, for a lot of people. But in New Zealand... You know, the same things are still happening, the same the yeah. same issues, the same questions. I think questions. that's why I, was, I found it so like, emotional because the backdrop yeah. of the film, yeah. it, I, I watched the film in the lead up to that, that mm. vote mm. and the backdrop of the film was like, this mm. is nearly 50 years ago. I wish it was different. It yeah. just isn't. And there was, mm. a, there was a moment when in the riot scene, I'm not going to give anything away, but it's a riot scene. So, mm. <laughs> look, I'm not spoiling anything. Like, it's not a riot unless cops are involved. And there's cops involved, so I'm not spoiling anything. Yeah. So, but I see the cops going with the billy clubs and just mm. straight up I'm like, this is the colonial justification of like, no, we have every, you are mm. in the wrong, we are overpowering. And I was just so fucking devastated mm. watching yeah, that, You know, the man. surprising thing, one thing that I did a little bit of research on as well, those bobby helmets. Yeah. Uh, hats are based on the original you know, Zulu-style English helmets that they fought with in the Boer War, wow. and so that they act—they actually they're in the in a British colonial soldier style. Yeah, I suddenly went, Jesus, they are, and you, it's true. You suddenly go, Oh my God! And you didn't, re you don't really realize. You don't realize, it. but the king is God in our church. So yeah, yeah. the king said we're allowed to do this. So it's divine. You don't have the same. Sorry. Mm. Well, God's given us this power. Here we come. I think that. Yeah. So in New Zealand, too, the police were never really seen in that way. You know, no. that, like they were always kind of the, the, the people that you go to for help, you know, down the road. Yeah. <laughs> because they don't, they still don't carry guns in New Zealand. It was all no. very much kind of, they were sort of part of the community. And I think that was quite confronting for New Zealanders as well. And yeah. probably for a lot of the police. I mean, I read some of their 
you know, testaments, and some of them had their little anti-tour badges underneath their uniforms, wow. you know, so they were conflicted as well. So, yeah, yeah, and it was interesting. There was an awful lot of, of Māori and, and uh, Pacifica um, police as well, and, in fact, there was a large group of them there. So from that point of view too, um, it's an interest. It was a very interesting time, which I think mostly has to come from a uh, a, a concept about, let's say, e- education. Because I think when I was at school, we really knew nothing about apartheid. We really knew nothing about, um, let's say, um, um, le- the cultural, you know, um, rights of the of the Maori in terms of land rights and and all of those things. So we certainly knew that there were there were there were massive issues about, you know, um, a colonial aspect of stealing land and the Maori wars and all like that. But nobody really it, w- it wasn't something that was that was known a lot and not a lot in education. So also there was a huge number of not only Maori as well, who didn't? Who weren't educated to understand their culture? weren't educated. So, so there was a side as well that were going. Well, we just what's going on? We just want this rugby, but they weren't. They weren't aware of what was going on. The hypocritical nature of it, simply because because that wasn't something that people knew. Then there was another side that actually wanted to try and use this to educate people to understand. Hey. You know, if you're if you're if you're marching for the for the rights of brutalized South South Africans, blacks, then maybe you need to understand some of the brutalized um, quality to the injustice that's happened in this country. And so it was re- it was really interesting because at the time, um, it was the beginning of the education. Mm. You know, and so I think it was um, you know, and ninety ninety percent of the people who were marching were were white New Zealand. Students, mm. you know that was that was the majority of of what it was, um, and so it was a it was a really a, 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 a really complex time, because looking back at it now, making this for twenty twenty three, it actually becomes really clear, and the and the um, let's say the the more wider cultural issues, and particularly even in Black Lives Matter, um, is. Is something that when we were like showing it in Toronto and, and places like that, the film really resonates because that indigenous story or that sense of lack of of knowledge of self is something that's only just really now being educated. The moment where he kind of has his, what do you mean I'm what? Mm. What, what, what? I know I'm allowed to have this dance. I'm allowed to know these words. Yeah, I'm yeah, part of yeah, something bigger yeah. than me. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I got born into. I got born mm. to a community that mm. I realised I'm I'm the same as many other things and many yeah. other people. But that yeah. moment was just yeah so extraordinary. But I mean, yeah. when we went doing research again in the film, we were down in um, in Dunedin. and we met with uh, some of the people from Naitahu, which is one of the um, Local Ewe yeah. down there. Yeah. And one of the um, guys, I've forgotten his name, but um, he was saying that, you know, he never spoke Māori. He didn't He didn't learn it until I mean, he would have been in his probably late 60s when we met him. Maybe in the last five years he'd started learning it. So because it was very frowned upon, like you were kind of encouraged to be, you know, white really. Oh, yeah. And so parents yeah. who understood Māori wouldn't, speak it to their kids. I mean, we learned it when I was growing up at school um, in, you know, like we'd sing some songs really in the national anthem. We'd sing Māori first. That's the 90s though for you, isn't it? 
uh, 80s, Late 90s. 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Early 2000s. <laughs> it's five years ago. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, you know, that was a real thing, I think, that a lot of Māori people in New Zealand yeah. Didn't have that kind of connection. Well, same thing happened here. Like you weren't allowed, mm. people weren't allowed to speak their own language. Languages mm. got lost. Yeah. And then yeah. you had people curating and, and keeping language. Mm. There's some languages that have it like less than 20 people still speak them. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's interesting back at the time in 81 when we were researching it, and I remember as well, I mean, there wasn't, you didn't have the English English um, name and then the Māori name that didn't exist. So we what we also I was finding was that Māori was used very selectively and, for instance, the principal in our film uses it as a weapon as well, as yeah. you notice, so that it suddenly becomes it's a way of him kind of washing his hands um, and feeling that he's being inclusive but he's actually being very manipulative. Yeah. And I think that um, I think people are, feel that in the film. They feel the... Uh, the manipulation of race in the movie too, yeah. which is which adds a nice an, a nice element for for discussion because the one thing in particular that is brought up it brings up a lot of emotion and a lot of discussion about uh, not only necessarily specifically Maori issues but issues about how how we work as a community and who we all are and. And the one thing that I, I fought for throughout the making of the film was the fact that that it has a a, um, a balanced vision of the film so that it, it's, it's inclusive from that perspective mm. and so that it has truth and, and, um, and sincerity um, with, the, with the material we're dealing with, but it's for everybody. And that was really important to me because yeah. I want all of New Zealand, hopefully all of Australia as well, to see this film because I don't think you have to necessarily be um, um, passionate about the culture or the material because it's just a story about a kid trying to find himself. So one thing we found when we released the film, when we first released the film, is everybody was saying there's a little bit of Josh in all of us. And that to me was, yeah, very much the reason to make the film. Just a moment away from my chat with Paul and Sonny to say that February 22nd, uh, if you're not going to be at Taylor Swift, come to Melbourne. We'll be there. We'll be do- doing two shows at the Malthouse Theatre, which is an outdoor venue. We've got Sam Wood lined up. I've got another person that I can't. Sorry, just yet. But the tickets are selling well, even though people don't know who the second guest is. That's really awesome. So come along. Come and hang out with me and Sam and the super special other person that I can't mention yet. Tickets are going well. So, yeah, two shows happening on the same night. One ticket gets you into both. All the details are in the show notes. If you want to get in touch with me, you can DM me. The Instagram's in the show notes as well. I'd love to see what you're looking at. So take a photo of what you're looking at right now. Send it to me in a DM. So I find it fascinating. What are you doing? You're doing laundry? You're walking a dog? You're lathing? You're washing dishes? Are you painting? Like, I always do shit when I'm listening to podcasts. I was gardening, pulling out a very itchy eschium out of my backyard this morning listening to podcasts. Oh, yeah. What are you doing? Back to Paul and Sonia in a moment. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You were very kindly invited Audrey and I to come and see a screening of it, which was amazing. And I'm in the middle of the film, I don't know, about five times, I kept saying to Audrey, it's as if it was shot at my school assembly. It oh, was really? as if it was exact, like the, it's like there was a, a like if you buy a Macca's franchise, yeah, this is how you do it. Like it's the same shit, mm. the same it's messaging. It's a quarter pounder with yeah. cheese. The same, it was the same recipes, the same menu items, the right. same way of speaking to the kids. When Paul started telling mm. you about the school he went to, mm. did you know the schools like that existed? Uh, yeah, I mean, my brothers went to an all-boys school. It wasn't a Catholic school, but... I think, you know, even the friends that I had that were the boys at that stage, it was, it's, it's this, the, the, the kind of idea of masculinity, it was kind of mm. terrifying. I Toxic, mean, I, I yeah. that's when you said that about, you know, there's a bit of Josh and everyone, mm. I, I think that is the kind of point of the film is that, you know, we all have these moments um, of doubt or of not fitting in or of trying to trying to figure out who we are, particularly as teenagers. And, I mean, that's why we want teenagers to see the film too because, yeah. you know, they can relate to that kind of thing. So. And it's interesting because, mm. uh, you know, if you think about that, I don't know how many of our last 14 Prime Ministers of Australia mm. have all gone to the same boys' school <laughs> um, and how many of the current... Mm. You know, I want to say, I want to say ruling class, but the current, you know, the upper echelons of our community, the, and not necessarily ones that are elected people who mm. run companies and such, yeah, all grew up in this environment. And mm -hmm. I it was only once I got out of school because, unfortunately, that was my worldview. Yeah, it was only once I got out of school I went, oh, hang on, so. I'm not actually going to take over the, the world. Isn't just here for me, and these people aren't just here for for my. Ah, oh, I'm not actually entitled to just do what the fuck I want. And just, oh, okay, that's what you're being taught now, regardless of how you feel in those environments. When you're surrounded, like you know, when you're being taught like that, in an, at an impressionable age, as as um, Miss Jean Brody. I don't know if you know the prime of Miss Jean Brody. You know the great play that that I don't and, and film that may she says, "Give me a girl at an impressionable age, and she'll be mine for life." Right. And it's about a school teacher, and it's exactly the same thing. It never goes. It's yeah. it's there and. Um, yeah, and it's it was interesting. One of the reactions I I had very um, cathartic reaction from quite a quite a few people who have seen the rugby sequence that has Jerusalem over it. Yeah, man. they went, oh. oh man, that's just it was the feeling of the 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 conservative rugby, um, particularly English influence of that world. And when you see a Maori boy suddenly 
being accepted into that world, it suddenly starts to feel really uncomfortable. And um, yeah, and and I, I I remember when I when I thought of that scene, found that piece of music. The other thing that's really seductive about it is it's a beautiful piece of music, so it's emotional and it's moving. So you're going, you're actually being seduced by it at the same time, and that's exactly what you know exactly what th- that school was doing mate so i, would I thought get that summed it up really well catching eh? public tra- you are ex- gentlemen you are expected to be there at the game for the first 15s like hang on what mm. Look, <laughs> you will be in your senior you know formal wear and yeah. it's like i'm going to catch a train then a bus to go to a school far away mm. to go and cheer for these guys that bully me during the week and then s- sing a song about chariots of fire <laughs> you what exactly yeah. i don't want to do this yeah, you're expected. They don't show up to my fucking music concerts. No. Why do I have to do this? Yeah, and if I and when I was making move, move you know, spot on films competition yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that, and they go, Paul's won the the only national prize that our school ever won was what I won for the spot on film competition. Nobody even knew about it, and they were all going. Who the fuck? What is that? You know what I mean? And it was like nobody even knew. It wasn't even on the radar. Very similar to what Madigan says, you know. I don't think he knows about our drama group because we don't exist. No. You well, know? well, you know, I mean, in New Zealand in that day, and still to a certain degree now, you everyone played rugby. Yeah, I mean, not girls because girls didn't play rugby then. Absolutely, but you, you, yeah. if, you, if you played soccer, you were gay. That was yeah. what it was. Like that's what I've done some research into think. this, um, <laughs> and I can tell you that kicking balls doesn't make you gay. Mm. Um, sometimes even just playing with balls doesn't make you gay. <laughs> <laughs> Only finding like a romantic or a intimate uh, satisfaction from being mm. with people of the same sex. Gen- that's kind of getting into Weird. the territory. <laughs> I know, and it's no, a very yeah. broad term. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. But it, it, yeah. It, you, and you were yeah. literally nobody yeah, like, yeah. back in the day. And I yeah. think that's why you know. I mean, Josh obviously in, in in the film Jamie, his brother who was a junior All Black, it was kind of a scene as a very respectable path for young Maori men it's was ticket. to it totally. was your ticket, you know, ticket to success. Mm. And you were kind of then accepted, you know. Into uh, the white community. Absolutely. That's I mean, the thing. You know, we've seen yeah. that here, haven't we? Well with, and truly. You know, oh man, there's a, there's a statue <laughs> yeah. of um there's a statue of Adam Goods outside yeah. the uh um the Center of Excellence down there, down mm. the road. And yeah. It's just like it's the greatest person who have ever played that game. Yeah. Had yeah. to walk away. It's like I I yeah. can't. Is this oh, what's gonna be like? I can't do I this. know, and this is twenty twenty three. Uh, I mean, not, not that when he left it, it, it was, was, but it was yeah, only two years yeah, ago. It was yeah, like, exactly. It was horrible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not. It's, but it's important to like the way that you bring it up in this film. It's it's so not judgy. It's so mm-hmm. able to paint the humanity of this young boy, um, and just be like, "Come on, man, he's a kid. Mm. He's a kid trying to do his thing." And you just, you know, it's 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 mm. a it's a way that isn't. It's so painted in the language that so many people find in common. For example, like getting a ball over a line yeah. uh, over there, which is we've all decided is very important, mm. um, which is what any sport is really. <laughs> like, yeah. It isn't. Yeah. It's just we just made it up, and so now it's yeah. important that we do this, and so yeah. it is. Uh, and, and so it's able, you're able to bring these kind of, kind of ideas to, to, to people. Um, now, when I tell people about this film, that you got, most people are coming over, it's like, oh, so you're Julian Daniels. Julian Daniels. 
But it's something quite different for yeah. Julian. It really fans. is. Because yeah. it's his great performance. It truly is, man. Yeah. He's yeah. the reason I cry. And he's so funny. He's the too. reason I cry. Yeah. You, I, still, you still get Julian Dennis. I teared up at the single mum stuff. Audrey, yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. Audrey was destroyed at the single mum stuff. Yeah. Which is yeah. Yeah. Was yeah. so, yeah. because it was so beautifully told. Yeah. The, the single yeah. mum, tr- I'm just trying to do it. Julian. Yeah. Just trying just to get Just hanging there. in there. Yeah. yeah, and the kid going through rehab as yeah. well. Yeah, because you know my story is like, yep, I yeah. get that. Yeah, but it was the yeah, Julian man, yeah. boy, oh boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, when he sees the script, when I mean, I don't want you to speak on his behalf, but you know, how how do you, what is it like to to hand this thing you've been writing over to somebody like that, and you know, mm. thinking, well, I wonder, because all I can do is give it to a performer. Yeah, and then they're going to do what they do with it. Well, mm. well, it's really interesting because he actually. Um, we gave him the script to be to play the best friend who was Cam. So um, is now Grace, Grace in the film. Yeah. Grace in the film now. Um, so and when he read the script, he loved the script so much and connected with the, with the material so much. But he said, which is, I mean, amazing and, and it worked out so well in the end, he wanted to play the lead character. And so that was when, you know, I did a rewrite of the story with him in the lead and then because he's a Māori kid, you know, it was we realised that we really needed someone. It was a different story then. And so that's when um, Hamish came on board to obviously right. to write that through, you know, the authenticity of, of his story and the significance of him being a Māori kid in that particular period of time. Um, it added a so lot I think of he, he really, it, and, yeah. and, you know, I think um, both, you know, in the draft that I did and then subsequently with Hamish, we were writing that with him in mind um, from that from that moment, you know, as the lead character. So... Yeah, I think that brought a really special um, tone to to his character. You know, there's a real mm. vulnerability to him as a person, I think, yeah. as well as an yeah. actor. Mm. You know, he's not – I mean, I, like we saw him at um, Hunt for the World of People premiere, well, it's like a Sydney premiere mm. or screening or whatever, um, Q&A screening. And, you know, he was still that kind of kid, you know, sort of jokey and, and telling jokes or something. He was only 12 or whatever. Mm. But he had a real vulnerability to him then. But now, like, he's just a very, he's a really soulful person and I think that really comes across. Yeah, he's got a um, wisdom to him. I mean, when I, mm. when I f- first got to meet him and get to know him, because I had the first meeting with him to talk about the film with his mum who plays Tui in the picture. Um, first time the two of them have acted together. But she's passionate because she was a marcher in in um in the uh, Springbok tour. Wow. So she 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 was there, well, you know, she said this was exactly what it was like. So I said, Oh good, we're doing it okay. Uh, you know, and then um but she said uh, she was passionate about the material and then when Julian got on board and then when Julian started the film and we got to know each other a little. I mean, and Julian and I had a very particular, you know, we had a very particular just between the two of us where, you know, he goes, you're me and I'm you. I get this. That's why I love this because what you went through, I've gone through. And so, you know, so he goes, those two things have kind of come together. So in his own way, he's had certain things he struggled with in his own life, things that are, that have been, you know, ways of him dealing with certain issues of self-esteem, the same with myself in other ways. And what's extraordinary is you see the the guts it takes for him to be that vulnerable. And he's so vulnerable in this picture and the way he expresses it, 
And the way he does it, it's like you just um, you got to applaud his bravery, but more than that too, his commitment to his art because you go, um, that's why it's so beautiful, and I think that's why so many that's why so many kids should see the film of his age because you kind of go, you know, like you're saying, like oh here's Julian Dennison, wow wow wow, but you see Julian Dennison exposed, and you know he's not just the funny star you've seen. Here's his real soul. And that hopefully will be a great thing for kids to look at and go, success in your life is not just about being that, but maybe it's about all the other things underneath it. Yeah. And that's what I, I really hope. Um, and one thing in particular in New Zealand, a lot of, a lot of kids, they're, they're seeing a lot in schools and stuff like that too, which is great, for, particularly for issues about mental health and things about knowing who you are. I think that's really yeah. important. There's a, I remember in the, in the 80s when I was uh, – it was a time of VHS. We had no Netflix. It was a long time ago, kids. All yeah, right? there was no VHS internet. is in the picture. And <laughs> if I saw Robin Williams on the cover of a VHS, well, I know that guy. Mm. I'll get that. And I started getting all these old Williams films going, yeah, I went for the funny part. Not here. <laughs> Not here. And, yeah. you know, I was, as I got older, I was like, oh, right. Mm. Comedians make freaking amazing dramatic actors. Mm. And, you know, I when I look at this film, you know, I remember when, a uh, long time ago now, but when Eric Banner got cast as Chopper, people were like, what the fuck, what? Yeah, he can't. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet here he is. He's this guy who was on the sketch show. The last thing he, we all knew him from was this guy on a sketch show playing 17 different kind of really over-the-top, you know, just scenery-chewing yeah, TV S sketch characters. SNL stuff, absolutely. To as broad as it gets. Humongous, yeah. you know, mm. really like the audio guys just turning it Turning it to down, 11. turning it down, like no, 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 a bit like, you're too loud, and and yet and then he shows up, twenty kilos heavier as Chop. You're like, mm. oh my god, he's terrifying. When I see this, you at first you're literally going, oh, it's the funny kid from that. Oh no, he's oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a moment once you see him start yeah. to reveal it. Yeah. Oh, it's all there, but you can't. You can't be funny if you're not understanding where the joke comes from. The joke is always coming out of tragedy. That's well, it always comes yeah. out of pain. I mean, that's yeah. the you know that's where true humour comes from, isn't it? It's it's out of the kind of pain of being human and pain of being alive and the yeah. dark moments, right? I just well, poor, poor Paul's has to deal with my family who are all we just give everyone a hard time. Not time, everyone, just me. Does it, Mate, I'm the same. I don't I get, get it. I get I get nailed all the time by her brothers, by her, even her dad. My dad. Which I, is it, great, you know, and it's like, and they know, and they know that, you know, I, it can be. Is he like up. this? Is he like, shake man. Is he like this? Is like, I haven't been out in the yard much, have you, mate? <laughs> kind of. Right. It's more, a little bit like that. It's more like, um, oh, just, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's affectionate. Yeah. Um, I cry at night, but it's. it's I mean, fine. that's what our family was always like. Like we, there, you know, we come from a very solid yeah. family. There's a lot of care. There's a lot of stability and support, and so that's just kind of part of it. You know, we, we feel safe doing that. So maybe Paul. My Paul family's completely different. You know, it's true. And and from that point of view, when you talk solid and and so on, we're 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 nuts. Um, and, but in a nice way, nuts. But the one thing is they're total individuals. And what's really exciting, do you know what I mean? That for, mm. for, 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 for me as well, I think the thing about when you look at something like this film, it's about um, celebrating your individuality and going, you know, and sometimes you don't, you don't quite know what to do to make it work, but you just gotta, you just gotta have faith and belief in yourself. Um, 
and love, I suppose, in the end. That's a true thing as well, mm. you know. Trying to keep any relationship together is is tricky um, when both partners are in, how should we put this, seasonal income industries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Over, uh, yeah. 20, over 20-something years. That's, uh, you know, mm. both both Audrey and I are the same. You know, we're, yeah. you know, well, we're, we're unemployed you know. for the rest of our lives when you, when you finish a job and you go, and this has been since I was 17. That's the way I've been my whole life. And it's like, okay, and you don't, you get used to it and then when you get successful. But, you know, that still happens when you go, oh, shit, work. What are we doing next week? We don't have, you know what I mean? What have and you found, what, sorry to interrupt you, but what have you found as a couple helps you get through those moments of uncertainty? Um, Sonia, Sonia's very disciplined and she says, just go and get some work. And I say, Sonia, Sonia, ride as hard as you can and then we can get some work. <laughs> sort oh, of, right? <laughs> yeah. A bit like that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think I, Paul's been pretty busy, so I, I guess it's it's not so much of an issue for him. But I don't know. My philosophy in life is just acceptance, you know, just not trying to fight. Like we've had some crazy stuff happening this year, like amazing things happening. But, you know, my mum died a couple of months ago. We now have my dad living with us who has Parkinson's and dementia. <laughs> so he gets up during the night and thinks that people are in the house, and you know, all these kind of things. And I'm like, well, this is what it is today. So we just accept it. Yeah, that's pretty big. So I think my that's, my, that's my philosophy generally. Yeah, well, my dad passed away in the first week of the pre of the, of the film. And so, yeah, so it's interesting that, that um, yeah, we got, we got through all that and it, it wasn't easy from that perspective. But whatever's happened, um, you know, um, I was, we were both working but very hard and somehow we got through all that and, and made the film and, and, and made it what it is. But more than that too, I think the interesting thing is um, trying to embrace uh, just whatever you're feeling right now. So the film that we're working on currently has is, is got to, a lot to do with death and loss uh, from, a, from a dramatic but a comic point of view. So there's a lot of humour. Yeah, and that's the key thing. I think that's you, you. You want the, you want the both sides of the of the coin. I suppose so. Yeah. And this is the thing that I love in the film is that some of the most extraordinarily hard to deal with moments. There's a there's a there's a laugh in there mm. to a, kind of almost what I love about um, satire particularly is that if there's a laugh in there, you, it kind of short circuits your biases and you can see a situation from a different perspective altogether, and suddenly you consider something quite differently. Mm. Yeah. Uh, which is why it's just so. What's like Julian and his leotards, oh, if so you remember. Cool. Like, and when they're on the field, and he goes, "You should, you know, you should have bought your leotards." So and it, and and it, it's like, and it's interesting because I think that, um, yeah, it's those. Mm. And Julian, I mean, the whole idea that when it was written that he. Then he went, okay, I'll put a leotard on. Because it was a good leotard. It was a great leotard. Uh, can I interrupt but, you know. too? That, uh, it was really interesting. One of the questions we got in Toronto was why did we choose to make a, you know, a, a comedy or a more um, lighthearted film about such serious themes, And which I love that question because I think, you know, at the end of the day, that's what kind of gets us in there, you know. That's what makes us feel something is that you can have that kind of lightness of touch and comic relief and then you can also feel the emotion at the same time. So you kind of come out feeling, 
you know, feeling satisfied in a way. I mean, I remember seeing Breaking the Waves, we've had this conversation, which was one of the most traumatic things I've ever seen, and I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed for hours afterwards. I was living, just so had just moved to Melbourne. I was living by myself, and I was like, woo um, And it was really affecting, you know, in a, quite a traumatic way. But those films, you know, like Uproar, the films that I love, where you can feel, I don't know, full when you come out of it. You know, like you feel moved, but you can have a laugh and you can have a cry. And you're like, okay, I went on a journey, right? This is this is good. And it's about something that is meaningful to to people, you know, to well, me. Well, you the, leave it and you're uplifted by it. You actually yeah. go, yeah, you know, despite all those things, it's kind of the idea is, yeah, um, there's tough stuff out there and, and, and we deal with tough stuff, but you leave going, well, um, um, I feel better and renewed by watching that. That's what I think is important, you yeah. know. Um, and I'd love going to watch a movie where I am like Breaking the Waves where I'm sobbing for hours and I don't know how I'm going to get through the day. But also watching things that are just like um, like f- fantastically hilarious. Like I remember seeing films like Anchorman, right, which is just absurd but but so absurd that there was just such a – you know what I mean? And that's just that kind of experience. And and no, you can't, you can't, you know what I mean? You can't get anything like that unless you see that kind of thing in that kind of way. Those sort of things I think are great. It's, it's, I think it's a, it's a film that, you Anchorman? know. No, this uh, uproar, <laughs> you could show it, like, yeah, you could show it in any kind of post-British colonial country and people will get it in a big way. But I reckon, like, just the messaging in it, there's, there's so much about, there's so many, uh, relatable, there's so much, there's so much mm. in it. Mm. There's so much in it that, you know, I think you guys are, it's such a beautiful thing you've created and, and thank you because it's hard stuff. You mentioned you're trying to tell four films at once. You've literally packed four movies into one. Each one could be its own film, all right, but you've managed to do it. It's hard mm. and it's beautiful. And Yeah, it is, it, is tar- it, it is hard and tough, but I think in the end um, it's all just about Julian's journey. So mm. all those things that are around him, all those other little sub-themes and stuff, but it's all just about. Mm. All just I, I think it's interesting, though, too, because the demographics in Australia, particularly that go and see film, the, the main cinema-going audience is women over 45, right? And they came out in droves in New Zealand as well. Mm. So I think that there's something in there, whether it's a single mum or a mum or just, you know, having or a, particularly a single mum with a mixed-race child, um, that really sticks with people. Like I had someone come up to me in Toronto in the the foyer and she just said, I've got two children and I know what it's like to be so focused on one of them that you kind of drop the ball and something happens to the other. And then she started crying. Yeah, yeah. And I started crying and it was like, you know, it was really um, very, very meaningful for her and it just made me realise that, Oh, that's that's her story, you know, or it could be the brother's story. There's something that you go into in films that you kind of connect to, and yeah, it was like Gemma who who did the introduction at South by Southwest from Letterboxd, and she said, and 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 speaking as a as a solo mum, I just want to say, you know, that 
we don't see this a lot and and she really really applauded that you know from her point of view something that that meant a lot to her mm. um and i think the interesting thing with mini driver in the picture i think she's she has a, a fabulous job but it was interesting that, that that her evolution you know in a way she has the most transition through the picture really tough really really um determined strong hard working very you know she has a lot of um, you know, faults in the way that she's doing things, but she doesn't know any other way of doing it. And, and then eventually when she finds, when she when she understands what's going on in her family, but particularly with her boy, the sense of support and renewal. But at the end they go, they, they, don't, they don't see it coming, mm. you know. And I think we all don't see things coming sometimes in our life and they just happen, which is kind of cool. It's a, look, it's a, it's a beautiful film. It's a lovely picture and... Um of of the world at the time. And I also really love, like, you're some 30s film producer because you keep referring to it as the picture. I know. <laughs> it's the picture. Come on, it's the picture. It's a great picture. <laughs> He's great in the picture. Yeah. That's right. Oh, we all want to burst out of the song. I love it. And so we're talking about the picture. I love What's it. What's the big picture here? The I, picture. Exactly. It's like something out of Barton Fink. I, exactly. You know? And Absolutely. I, you know, I've got so very two, like, real dumb art department questions. Mm-hmm. Um and then we'll get out of here. Um, one, as a Kingswood driver. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah. Thank you. Nice yeah, that's no all worries. I'll say on that. <laughs> yeah. And two, the off-the-shoulder camcorder, which was the smallest thing available at the time, where you're like, no, it has to be that one because that's the one I used to drag around. No, that, no, that f- is no, the no, one that, My used one. To yeah, drag fuck around. out of here. Yeah, so I couldn't find a GX8080, <laughs> JVC GX8080 that was good enough anywhere. So I went, can you guys, this is my family, can you go into the garage, see if you can find my own, my parents had kept my old JVC porterback and camera, but it looked like something out of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And so I said, oh, shit. So the model maker said, give it to me. And he went and he went and he turned it and made it look like it was brand new. So the camera and the porter pack and all that that Julian's holding is the real one I used <laughs> at exactly his age to make all my movies at that time. So that was something straight out of the film. And I was very, very happy with that. So when I saw Julian with that, with the glasses, with this, I went, Ooh. <sighs> yeah, yeah, that was very close, close to, to, and also the school uniforms look ex- almost exactly the same that we had in Wellington. I was nudging Audrey going, it was that, but red and black. Right. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> the gra- it's the greys and the blues and the stripes. <laughs> it's like just the it's pictures like in the a, de- a depressing mm. candy store. Do you know what I mean? It's just like. Yuck. I love, I do, I do so love that that was your actual camera. Yeah. Yes, I it do, was. It yeah, was yeah, my yeah, actual yeah. camera. And, and I can vaguely hear. Thirteen-year-old uh, Paulie shaking his fist. Going, One of these days. Well, you know the weird thing back can, then. Can I just say what what we should do is get you his old um, home movies from when he was like ten. I, I still YouTube. have them. I still have them. So they've got his brother. You know, his brother playing. You know, a soldier, and they, they were kind of war movies. Or there was one earthquake one where it was like an <laughs> earthquake in Wellington. Honestly, it is. It's quite funny. See, and now very I want to do. Yeah. Now I want to do director's commentary. But there is yeah, an interview yeah. with me. Yes. When I am thirteen years old with my glasses, and I'm interviewed. How by was tele- that not in the EP tele- for this te- film? Television no, New Zealand. That's a good point. So, so, so I go. Well, yeah. No, we were shooting out on the Y 
rapper and yeah so it was me, me as a kid with my glasses and all like that thanks so much for coming out of here yeah. and, and honestly thank you for dealing with the chaos of the first 15 minutes of your arrival when I was in we felt quite at home it's okay mm. I was in all sorts of just trying to make things happen as fast as possible um, I'm much calmer now that we've got that done yeah, yeah and I'm, I, I think people will get a lot out of this having yeah no because like, like I said <laughs> people plan a holiday and go well you should invent, you should go by yourself because we will be divorced by the time we get to the Gold Coast <laughs> take your three park super pass and fucking have a good time no, we uh, yeah. we to tell you the truth, the way that it like Sonia when she's working, it's like, well, do you want me any feedback? She's no, I'm gonna just write this, and so I don't get really to say fucking anything until she says, here's a draft, have a look. Boundaries, and then, how good are they? Boundaries, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> really, anyway, thank you very much. No, yeah, it's you. awesome. That was Paul Middleditch and Sonia White, and the film is uproar. It's fantastic. Stars Julian Dennison, Minnie Driver, and the fant- beautiful Reese Darby. It's so great. It's so, so great. And you know what's wild is that even though it's set in 1981, over 40 years ago, it could be today because there's, re- there's so many things inside the film that relate to our country, Australia, relate to what we're going through right now, particularly when you think about identity, relationship with ourselves, and... Sometimes in our country, we have a rule for countries other than ours and another rule for us. I'm not spoiling anything in the film by saying that, but I hope you'll enjoy it. Uh, I'd love to know what you think of the movie. Let me know. Drop me a DM. I'd love to hear about it. Thanks very much to everyone that helped me make the show today. Andy Marr on audio and video post-production. Abby Benno, who produced the show. Monica and Ben at OGTV for keeping the lights on. And you for listening. Thanks for being a part of it. If this podcast has been good, maybe share it with someone and go, hey, this was good. That's a really great way that costs you no money, but really helps us a lot. So thanks heaps for being a part of it. See you Wednesday. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.